Okay, I'll be honest and say that I wasn't looking forward to doing this stream. It's like Friday evening and oh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm wait, I, I'm ready for the weekend to begin. But you know, um, there's always that point, um, that moment just before I hit live when I go, oh, I don't want to do this. And I just click live. Okay, all right, hello. <laughs> and then it go live. I have no choice. And I feel that way, honestly, about every single stream that I do. There's just a bit of me where if I had a choice, you know, I wouldn't want to do this. Actually, I feel the same way about when I'm preaching as well. Uh, which is why I do kind of like build in that kind of habit, that kind of routine, so that I just keep going and just keep going. So as to build that, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why I'm talking about routine habit. I'm just repeating myself. I'm just... <laughs> words are just coming out of my mouth with, without being filtered through my brain. That's not a good thing, right, when you're reading the Bible. But, you know, when you're tired, uh, maybe you're feeling tired. You have a long week. I've had a long week. And the last thing you want to do is to read the Bible, is to pray, is to think about stuff that um, involves effort. Um, uh, it always you, you know that it's always going to be worthwhile at the end. But it's just that start. It's just that beginning. And if that's how you feel, that's how I feel right now. Um, I'm not sure if that's encouraging to you. I'm just trying to be truthful and honest. Um, I'm feeling tired. Um, I want to have dinner. I want to sleep and maybe watch a movie. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to read Isaiah 36 of all of all books. Uh, okay, what is okay? I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I have, I have it on my screen. I have it here in my Bible. Which shall I use? I'll use my Bible. Yeah, I'll use my Bible. Okay, all right. So, let me pray and read from Isaiah chapter thirty-six. I think I'll cut out that whole intro, or, or maybe I'll leave it in. Oh, it's raining. My brain is everywhere. It's not working today. <laughs> Uh, if you're just joining me, welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 36. It's Friday the 4th of June. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you meet us in your word and draw us close to you. Help us to be reminded it is you whom we meet, whom we worship, and cause us then to have that reverence, that expectation, and that joy as we come to you and we hear your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 36. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Oh, wow. What an intro. So this foreign king of Assyria, he just took everything. He attacked all the cities. He captured them. Verse 2. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah, Jerusalem, when the commanders stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to meet him. Verse 4, the field commander said to him, said to them, you know, these three guys, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah, he said to them, Tell Hezekiah, so this is going to be a message that he wants them to pass on to the king. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. 
It's interesting. You know, Hezekiah is just Hezekiah, but this is what the great king, his king, a Syrian king, that's conquered all these lands of 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 Judah. That's what this king says to this guy called Hezekiah, and he says, "On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You can you say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom?" Are you depending that you rebel against me? Look now, you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces a man's hands and wounds him if he leans on it. Interesting.、Um, Egypt is pictured as this reed. You know, you try to lean on it, but then it pierces your hand. You go ouch! Oh, yeah, and.、Um, Because I guess they knew that they were under threat by Assyria. I think, if I'm not mistaken, King Hezekiah had been paying money to Sennacherib, kind of like homage. I'm not sure what the word is. You know, where you give money to a bigger superpower, but he'd been doing that. But then he was worried of repercussions. That you know, and indeed, you know, he didn't honor that deal, so he attacked the city, and so he aligned himself with another superpower. And we saw that in the previous chapters, as we read through Isaiah, through Egypt. And so now,、uh, here is this king saying, "You know, Egypt can't be depended on. You know, you're trusting in them, but we are the we are the real thing. We are the real superpower. You should be honoring us." And I guess he's trying to hint to him to surrender.、Um, you know, he's already attacked all the other cities. Don't put up.、Uh, my brain is worried. Don't put up. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Opposition. A fight. Don't put up a fight. <laughs> And just give in.、Um, Uh, and 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 verse seven. And if you say to me, "We are depending on the Lord our God," isn't He the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, "You must worship before the altar." Huh. Okay. I, I was just reading something from where was it? I think、um, my my churches.、Um, Blog, was it?、Um, yeah, it's called "Gardening Always Needed," and it's by the pastor of my church, Saint Andrew the Great. And he was he was equating all these high places and altars with weeds. You know, you break one down, another one pops up, and that's what Hezekiah did here in verse 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 seven. He removed all the high places, all the altars. And then he said, "You can only worship God at the one place, at the temple, at the altar." But he's being criticized for that, you know. So this commander is saying to him, "You know, you say that you're worshiping God, but you tore down all these high places, which should be a good thing. But I think he thinks it's a bad thing. I think he, to him, you know, tearing down the high places is like tearing down worship of God.、Uh, whereas I think God is such that he only." Wants to be worshipped in the way that honors Him and Him alone. So all these high places are to idols, but God alone is to be worshipped in only this one place and this one way towards this one God. So actually, Hezekiah did a good thing, but this guy misunderstands it. I think. I think. <laughs> Verse eight. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you two thousand horses if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse? One officer of the least of my master's officials, 
even though you are dependent on Egypt for chariots and horsemen. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Oh, wow. So he is claiming that God sent him to destroy Judah. And the Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Wow. There's a lot of propaganda, a lot of mistruths here, half-truths. You know, it's half-true, but it's also entirely false. Um, because uh, he's implying that God is using them to judge Judah. And... You know, we've been reading in the past few chapters about how God is telling them not to rely on Egypt, and he's saying the same thing. But the angle that he takes here is that you say you're relying on God, and I'm telling you not to do this because God has sent me to destroy you. And that's the kind of insidious nature of these words. He's using God's name to attack God's people so that they will not trust in God's promises. Verse 11, Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people on the wall. But the commander said, Was it only to your master and to you that my master sent me to say these things, and not to the men sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat okay, their own filth and drink their own urine? That's disgusting. Okay, essentially, like you go to the toilet and you scoop out whatever's in the toilet and you eat that for your dinner. Um, and he says that I think that's just um, scaring them, scary tactics. And so the three officials tell this commander, please don't speak in the language, in the native language of the peoples in Hebrew, such that they can understand it. And ask asks them to speak in Aramaic, which was uh, the more... Um, I guess less people then in Judah understood it. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it was a more international trade language. But Hebrew was local. So everyone local understood that. And it's amazing that here is this guy coming, learning that language and using propaganda, intentionally targeting the people in their own language. Um, um, Welsh to the people in Wales. Um, uh, Malaysia and you know, speaking Basa uh, Malayu to and and intentionally or speaking Hokkien such that you intentionally want them to get the message. You will suffer. You know you you shouldn't trust in God. You you are the ones who will suffer if you continue trusting in God in this way. You end up eating your own filth, you know, your own dung, and drinking your own urine. I apologize for that picture. I mean that's just horrible. Um, I think it's the situation whereby they're under siege and therefore they're fighting off the attacks, but there can be no uh, no food. So I guess that's why they're eating this. There's no food, there's no water, no clean water. So they're having to drink out of their uh, toilets. Verse 13, Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. Keep saying this. Do not listen, do not listen, do not listen to your king. Verse 16, this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. 
Then every one of you will eat from its own vine and fig tree and drink water from its own cistern, until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of corn and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Verse 18, do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sevarvaim? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand, which is the north of Judah? So they, they just conquered this other country, just neighboring to their country. Verse 20, who of all the, go the gods of these countries have been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Verse 21, but the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, sign of mourning, and told him what the field commander had said. Um, it's interesting to notice what he promises. This enemy commander promises if they trust in the enemy king as opposed to their own king, uh, if they trust in Assyria instead of God. And essentially, these promises sound almost exactly like the promises that God gives to his people. So verse uh, 16, make peace with me and come out to me even just this approaching and coming out to, to this king is almost like a call to repentance. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern. And um, this description of eating under your own vine, sitting under your own fig tree, it's, it's reminiscent of the heyday of the kingdom of Israel, especially under Solomon. We're under that heyday, that height of the kingdom of prosperity and peace. You know, everyone had, you know, they had their own fig tree. They were able to live in peace. They had their own land, essentially. You know, that's why you, that's the idea of the fig tree. It's like you have your own apartment, your own couch. You're just self-sustainable. You know, God has given you this good thing, this blessing. And then verse 17, especially, until I come and take you to a land like your own. And that is very, very much like, uh, like what God promises to his people in Exodus, giving them their own land. And he says, a land of corn and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land that is plentiful, that is sustainable for all the people. So notice that this enemy king is promising essentially what God promises his people. He's setting himself out, out as God. And he uses words. Um, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, here's a commander of an army that has defeated all the other cities that has come with all these troops and all these chariots and all these horses. But instead of just attacking them, you know, just, you know, why not just do the deed, you know, destroy the, the city, take over the country, the city, excuse me, Judah. Um, instead, what he does, he sends someone to to, to speak to them, to discourage them, to throw them off their guard because such is the power of words and such is the strategy of words. You know, it has this effect of weakening people's 
trust and resolve and courage, such that when they do fight, I think they do intend to attack. I think they know that there will be some kind of resistance, but such that when they do attack, you know, everything will be weakened. It'll be so much easier for them to take over this people because you know they're, they're not going to give this. These are empty words. These are empty promises. They're just going to destroy the whole city. But they say these things because it works. You know, it di distracts you from the promises of your own king and your own god. It, it it empties you of any hope of being saved. Actually, uh, here what what it's translated delivered is actually the word saved. You know, verse eighteen: Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us or save us. Has any nation ever delivered or saved his land from the hand from the king of Assyria? And so this idea of being saved or being delivered, actually even verse 20 is literally saved in the NIV. Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save his land from me? So essentially, they don't want, this military commander doesn't want them to hope in God's salvation. Doesn't want them to even think that it's possible for them to be saved, to be delivered from this enemy king. And he hasn't even attacked them. He hasn't done anything. All he's, he's done is just spoken out against them in a language that he can understand to discourage them from trusting in God, in God's goodness, in God's king. Having said all that, what is the response? What is the response? And you would think the response is trusting God, trusting God. And, um, uh, yes, I, I think I think that's the big picture. It's interesting that you know everyone is silent here. You know God doesn't speak out. And why doesn't God just strike down this commander? So yes, you should trust in God. But what's the more immediate response of these officials of these people? And it's interesting that they remain silent. Verse twenty-one. But the people remained silent. They said nothing in reply because. The king had commanded, do not answer him. Now that's really, really interesting because it's very, very instinctive to reply. You know, you read something on the internet, something on Facebook, something on Twitter that is just offensive towards God. That is even, maybe even untrue. That has full of half-truths. The first instinct is to blah, 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 you know, type something back. But Hezekiah, their king, says, you know, almost anticipating that they would use this strategy, he says, you know, don't, don't say anything back to them. It's almost not worth going into this argument, this quarrel with this, with this commander, with this war of words, because you're trusting in God. Because God has already spoken and God already said that he would save his people. Actually, we saw that um, a few chapters ago at the end of chapter 34, um, verse 17, he lost their portions, his hand would distribute to them by measure. He will, they will possess it forever and dwell there from generation to generation. And actually the whole chapter 3 actually builds upon this, um, builds upon the idea that uh, this desert will become a garden again, that God will restore and God will save and God will fill and bless his people. In the end of chapter 35, they will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy with crowns on their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away and sound so good. And then suddenly, bam, chapter 36 happens. They're tested. You know, will you trust God in this way? It's almost, now it, it may not have been sequential, but at least in the order of the way in which Isaiah is set up, it's almost as if, do you believe these promises? 
And here's a context in which for you to trust and lean upon these promises that God will restore his people. And it's because you trust in God that you just wait for him to deliver, wait for him to act, and you don't feel that need to respond or go into that argument to kind of like correct all that wrong that you see everywhere. It's because you trust in God and that he has spoken that you feel that you don't need to speak. You just need to hear what God has spoken, not listen to what anyone else is saying, all these half-truths, not to trust in that. Even though he might shake you, obviously, you know, these guys were shaken. You know, Eliakim, verse 22, uh, Shebna and Asaph, they went to Hezekiah, their clothes were torn, you know, they were mourning and they told him everything. They were obviously shaken by these words and it does have that profound effect on their trust. But Hezekiah's uh, approach uh, was to say, hey, don't listen to them. And in fact, don't even answer them. And we'll find out what happens uh, in chapter 37 because uh, Hezekiah does indeed, he, he, he does mourn and he does go before God and does pray. But, you know, the first thing he does is he goes to God and he listens to what God has to say to him. And I think there's a kind of profound wisdom to that. There's a kind of profound relevance for that to us today when we hear you know words of opposition words of discouragement that invite us into that quarrel the first uh recourse should always be back to god you know god we want to trust in you please speak to us we've been hearing all these other voices lord would you please remind us of your goodness of your grace of your power to save and that's what Hezekiah does in the next chapter. I hope we'll look at it tomorrow. I'll I'll try to do that. Um, But um, I think it's that kind of instinctive repentance that goes first to God before even attempting to speak on God's behalf, going back to God, repenting towards God and asking for His help before then relying on Him to give that answer, to give that response towards uh, any kind of outside interference and or discouragement. And um, I don't know what that does for you. Uh, maybe um, that's uh, just encouragement if you felt as if, you know, maybe I'll wait before I answer that kind of um, sca- uh, that kind of scandalous kind of a comment and, oh, wow, you know, we need to answer. And maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe that relieves you from that kind of pressure. Or maybe it just... Um, uh, causes us to repent all the more. You know, for me, that's what it does. You know, repent all the more that, you know, hey, actually, um, this should cause me to go to God more, should cause me to mourn and cause me to trust in His deliverance and not to listen to just these nonsensical and discouraging and really almost heretical voices that call us to turn away from God. Oh boy. Okay. All right. At the end of Friday, that's what we looked at, uh, Isaiah 36. Um, uh, maybe that's what we need. Maybe that's what we need at the end of a tiring day when um, we really can't do any much more than just to go to God and trust in Him uh, and, and just rem- remembering all the promises He has already given us, that He is good. He hasn't left us alone. He will save. Everything does the opposite of what this commander has said in chapter 36. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word rings all the more true in the face of falsehood, in the face of discouragement. We know that you are a God who is good, who has loved us, and who has saved us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Maybe this is just 
where we are right now. Maybe we haven't yet seen that fullness of salvation. Uh, we know we, that we know that. now. I we know that we've been saved in Christ, but at least at least in this moment, all we hear are words of discouragement, words that weaken us, that draw us away from Your goodness. And Lord, it is in this kind of weakened and humble posture that we come to you and maybe even grieve before you and ask, Lord, that you show your power and your goodness and your salvation to us again. So we repent and we turn to you. We come to you asking, Lord, that you, that you not be silent before us, that you come and be with us and you intervene in this situation of helplessness, of, of, um, of threat and um, harm, of discouragement, and that you fill us again with the wonder of your promises of your word, reminding us of who you are, that you are in control, that you have saved us, that Jesus has indeed paid the penalty for our sin, and that we can trust in him. We can look towards him and we can put all our trust and hope in him as our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me. This has been the daily bible reading show it is friday yay it's the weekend oh, have a good one thank you for joining me take care and god bless bye bye <laughs>